My name is Andrew. Um, I'm married to the amazing Heather, who I've been sitting next to this week and most weeks. Um, pretty much every week, really. <laughs> we've been in the church um, just about two years, and we've felt so welcome. Thank you. Those of you who've been part of this, those of you who've met us, thank you for welcoming us. Thank you for a heart to just bring us and our family in. We have four children, three with us, one who is married and lives with his wife um, in Manchester. Um, so we have three with us, teenagers, uh, though Daisy's not quite a teenager till September. Daisy, Levi, and Kezia. These are really the, thank you. Yeah, you, yeah, 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 I'm taking it. Um, I've been a Christian, yeah, quite a few years, and so grateful that there is still more in my walk with God that God has for me. That's my testimony. Um, if you've been a Christian a long time, you know you can go up and down a little bit. Um, I just say I'm hungry for the next thing, hungry for the presence of God and the life of God. So that's, that's a little bit of my testimony. I got saved at university, met my wife at university. We ended up living in Bristol for a period of time. We moved to Manchester, uh, maybe... 18 years ago, which does genuinely seem like yesterday, um, but it's our home. We came up as part of the, some of you know, the, the, the Eden Project. We moved into Withenshaw, and we had children there, and we had a great time. And we've been around, I've been in church leadership in King's Church and another church in Oldham for a number of years, and just the last couple of years, we've been here. So God's still good, always good. Praise God. Um, okay, just, this should be good. You ever been around to someone's house and you kind of felt they wanted to talk to you, possibly about something, but you've talked and maybe you've had coffee and then nothing quite has come up and then you're leaving and then you're standing on the door and you're just saying goodbye and then it opens. It's as though... The thing that needs to be said, the thing that should have been said right at the beginning, it's took and taken time to, to get out there. I don't know what that is, and I know it in myself, but it's almost like the urgency of leaving. I've got to just say this. Leaving words, parting words, are important. You don't say the nonsense at the, when you part. You say the thing that you want to say. You get it out. And so I'm, I feel really privileged to round up this season because... Um, we're going to look at 1 Peter right at the end of it, uh, which is the last few verses I have to look at this morning. And it's almost as though Peter's kind of, he's said some amazing things, and he's just rounding it up. I don't know if at that time he knew he was going to write a second letter. I don't know that, but I know he was going, I've got to deliver this truth that God's put on my heart to this group of believers. So I feel privileged just to, to finish this series for us. In chapter 1 of verse 1, um, Peter wrote to God's elect in 1 Peter. And he said, to God's elect and strangers in the world. That's who he wrote it to. To be elect, to be chosen, speaks of our value. We are so precious because we're chosen. That's my testimony. God has singled me out and said, you belong to me, Andrew. But to be a stranger also says this isn't quite 
our home. This isn't quite where we belong. We're here. But as we've seen in the last few months, the whole letter is full of wisdom about for life, about both attitude and conduct. So we're going to kind of wrap this up. Um, I'm going to read the passage. I don't know if the guys can put it up. the little things. So if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Peter and just find the last few verses. Okay, I'm going from chapter 5 and verse 6. Brilliant. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying to this, that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who's in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Amen. Can I just pray for us as we start this and just try and bring this in? Thank you, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that we have opportunity to encounter you, not just in worship, but in word. And I pray you just open our hearts as we have this time now, as we've sung already this morning, we surrender. All of us, our hearts are open to you. Amen. Um, Last week, Mark talked about pastoral ministry and equipping and releasing in the church. And the verse just before that I didn't read, but it's kind of tagged onto this because it's linked all about humility. It, it, It ends with, and if you've got a Bible open, you'll see, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter's quoting from the book of Proverbs. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Wow. Right there, there's a key to getting more grace. But I thought grace was free. I thought we had a lot of it. Well, we can. I mean, he can't earn it. The amazing benefits of being alive in God, the forgiveness, the place we have as sons and daughters, that's free. But there is something we can do to attract the grace of God. It says of grace, I was like grace and favor. They always link in my mind when I hear them about Jesus growing in favor 
when he was a young child. And there's an opportunity here as we read this scripture that we can gr- he gives grace to the humble, which implies there's more that can come to us, which I'm very happy about. Because I can do with just some more grace. And Peter, as we've seen his story, we look at his life, the, some of the, the humbling he went through in his life of the mistakes and yet the continual pursuit to go forward and not to give up. I'd say, and I've got in my notes here and I'm going to read them, Peter, who had been around a bit, had learned a bit, says to this early church, he says, get this, be humble. Do what you need to do, it will really work better for you. That's me kind of talking around this. And then he starts with the passage we've just read. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in the due time. He's writing to a church under pressure. And he chose to bring this in part of his closing. And he's, he's touched on it throughout. But he, in closing the message, he starts to bring this. And the key for me where this is where it starts. This humility is outworked in our relationships But it starts before an audience of one. It starts under his mighty hand. He, the Lord God, the Father of Jesus, is mighty. Not because he can crush us, but because his mighty power has a disposition to do us good, to bless us. And he's the one we choose to align. He's the one we come to and we humble ourselves before him. And as we do that, we... We work that out in our lives. How much better to humble ourselves than the opposite, which is to be humbled. There's a, there's a dramatic story in the book of Daniel about Nebuchadnezzar, where for a season, because Nebuchadnezzar raises his heart up in pride, for a season he loses his mind, and then it's restored again and he acknowledges God. But just a little dramatic picture from the Old Testament of a man who chose not to humble himself and saw his own greatness. Hmm. Humbling ourselves isn't adopting a position, as I'm sure you've heard it before, of being a doormat, of letting others just come all over you. But it's lived, as we've said, in humility before God. There's a quote you may have heard, I believe it's C.S. Lewis, humility is not thinking of less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Dwelling upon ourselves and our old world, our own sense. God would say, take your eyes off. There's things I need you to look at, but take the focus off your own life. I believe biblical humility, which is a great thing, is simply having God's view of yourself. God's view of yourself. What is God's view of me? Is it there? Is it there? I think God genuinely has a good view of me. Do I never make a mistake? No. There's people in the room that will talk to you about that. But God has a good view of me, and I want to uphold that and say, that's true of me. God has chosen me. He says I'm precious. So I've got to be in line with that. There's an amazing, well, I say all the Bible's amazing, but... There's some stuff that just jumps. There's a verse in the book of Numbers where it says, Numbers chapter 12, 
it says Moses was a very humble man. More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Quite a dramatic statement. Sits out of context in our culture today. Even more dramatic because Moses wrote that. (laughs) Yeah, it's bordering on just getting a little arrogant to talk about yourself being completely humble. And yeah, I was thinking, okay, that's true. I, I believe it's good to have a right estimation. And then as I was preparing... I thought Moses had, I don't know many people, Moses had spent 40 days face to face with God. (laughs) Moses had spent a time in the presence of God, not just a few minutes, he'd spent a whole period. Now we have very little understanding of what went on there. He received testimony and commandment. But the encounter of that, the shaping, not for fear, If there's any sense that standing before God brings fear in you, there's a sense of coming to Christ and knowing there's no condemnation. But dealing with things before a holy God. Wow, I'm I'm re-energized to say, Moses, you you had every, every right to write that in the book of Numbers. You had every right because you were in the presence of God. And I I believe that, that is just a key for us. Spending time in God's presence. Nothing displays our nature as sons and daughters like coming before God in trust and confidence of his goodness. Even says of Jesus, Jesus humbled himself. So this command that Peter's saying to the church, it's not as though it was something that's just for us. And Jesus, Jesus we looked at him, he humbled himself. He became obedient even to death. It's being able to say, To come before God and say, humble me, Father. Soften my heart, Holy Spirit. If there's anything in there that you need to touch, if there's there's anything there, Holy Spirit, come. And it's so good and so kind of the Holy Spirit. He's so good and so kind and he will soften and bring this humility that we desire. Humility can be displayed in letting... People close. Letting people touch your life. Sometimes they might even get, and they will even get so close, they they touch some of the painful areas of your life. Sometimes humility can just be like asking for help. And then he says, humble yourself. under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Oh, in due time. (laughs) Uh, That's probably another message. I'm probably not. That's the waiting and the patient waiting for God's turnaround in your life. If that's what you're waiting, it's in due time. All I'll say is God's due time is the right time. (laughs) I can only give you that. Uh, There's more on it, but the next verse, Peter jumps. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He goes from humility to anxiety. And yeah, I think there's a connection. There's a state that God would have us live in of complete childlike trust, knowing who we are and knowing we've got nothing to prove before him. 
I want to read a, a scripture, if you have it. It's, it's a little ta- psalm. Tom? Psalm. 131. It's three verses. I don't think the guys have got it on the screen, so... Um. Psalm 131, I need a drink. Psalm 131, my heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I've stilled and quietened my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. There's a place of just coming to rest, doing business with our anxious thoughts in the presence of God, casting our anxiety upon him. When Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, don't worry, um, he was kind of outlawing worry as something for us. Not that you can no longer worry. Don't think I've ever met anyone who's never worried don't think I've met anyone who's ever had to be taught to worry. It's not that you can't worry. It's not that you're unable. It's just not us. It's just not the life we're meant for as sons and daughters. It's just not who we are. Part of walking out of worry and anxiety is trust. Humbling ourselves and trusting. Now the orphan can doubt that God is good. And that we can trust him with our lives. But that's not who we are. We're no longer orphans. If you find that rising up, just deal with it. Deal with it with those around you. that, that, That sense of, how can I trust you, God? God's intention, the Father's intention towards us is good. And I actually believe this is one of the freest places you can live. If you live your life without an over-concerned, fretful, there's so much in the scriptures, that is God's plan. It's, it's his intent that as young children of God, we live in a place of just, complete trust and dependence on him. I believe there's a freedom that comes out of that. I think it's Heidi Baker, and someone will correct me, that says, God is God and I'm not. And then probably she laughs and falls over. But just... <laughs> Just crazy lady who's just got something of the presence of God. But just a recognition. She's got a PhD in theology, I think. She's just an understanding of who God is and who we are and how we relate in that dynamic. Now, there's probably a whole lot to unpack in that. But just as a tagline, finding our place in God, where we say, I can put my anxiety, my worries, my anxious thoughts on you because of who you are, Father God. Because of who you are. Proverbs 31, the, 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 all about the, the, the woman and the beautiful wife and all that. And she says, there's a lovely scripture in Proverbs 31, 25. It says, she can laugh at the days to come. That is the most, for me, it's such an attractive quality to look at the future and in the right sense, laugh. In the right sense, 
because you're full of trust and confidence in who God is and what he's said and that he's with you and he's for you. And there's a right sense. It's not a trivializing problems. It's not a saying things aren't just going to disappear just like that. But it's a right sense of having the joy and the confidence before God. And you'll know there's a scripture in Philippians talking about the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart. As we posture and position ourselves, God comes to us with a peace. Just as he stilled waters, raging storms, he'll still the raging thoughts in your heart with his peace and he'll guard your heart. Because our hearts need guarding. Some of the stuff that comes to us, not even the bad stuff, I'm just talking about the information that comes through internet, through just some of the things I've read this week of the incidents and the atrocities. They just come so quickly. It's not as though you wait a week and you might hear a bit of news. They're just there on your phone or or, or the computer or the television. And we need, the information can come and it will, it has an agenda at times of putting a fear and unsettled and and God says, I want to guard your hearts, my children. I need you to know a strength. I need you to live out of a, of a laughing at days to come. Not because the problems don't exist. You've got to hear this right. But a sense of just, I have a confidence in God and what he has me to do in this place. And I can live out of that. And I will not be swayed. It's not that we, we just ignore the news and the, the issues going on. But we have to find a way where we come and we settle our souls like the, the weaned child in the, in the psalm, we settle. And sometimes we don't concern ourselves. And that's like a word. Sometimes there's things, you just, your little minds, my little mind, just can't work it out. And I have to trust my father. I have to say, I'm going to trust you on this one because I just can't do the maths on it. Hmm. Okay, that was two verses, I think, wasn't it? Okay. I'll try to speed up a tiny bit. Um, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Another translation for self-control, one of my other Bibles I was reading, which says, be serious. It's not in contrast to the, the joy and the peace and even the laughing, at the, but there's a seriousness. You've probably seen, um, I don't spend a lot of time watching them, you've probably seen some of the wildlife programs where it's a, an African savanna and there's maybe a herd of gazelles. Can I go with them? Wildebeest, somewhere? Yeah. And then there's a shot for them and you see them and the haze and the heat haze is going and then the shot back to the lion, who's, who's crouched and ready to pounce. And then the shot back to the wildebeest or the, the herd. And there's usually one just on the edge, just on their own, just grazing, not aware, not alert. And that's when it shoots in, and that's when the, the kill goes on. Kingdom life is often extremes. We've talked so much is of a child coming humbly to a father. But it's also a believer being fully alert against the attacks of the enemy. And there is an enemy. He has schemes. 
And this instruction is less about worrying what those schemes are, but more about being alert. And I believe one of the most strong ways we stay alert is we stay together. Because the, the picture of the savannah and the, the wildebeest, and the, it's, he's not going to go right into the middle. He's not going right in the middle of the pack. And it's not about where you sit, it's just how your life is, how your life is connected with others. I believe it's so precious. We were never designed to live on our own. That may be, you know, walk out our faith alone. That may be what happens if you post job, job away or something goes on. But we were designed to be together. God speak all these letters, they're to a church, they're to a people. It's called church, it's called community. And we need to wrap ourselves around other believers. How you do that is just in so many ways. And once you start doing that, you'll need to go back to point one of this message, which is all about humility. Once you start trying to get really close to people and let people close to you, and then things start to... But anyway, that's probably another message as well. I, had, I don't watch a lot of wildlife television. Maybe I, maybe I have done in the past. There's another, there's another one of those... I can hear David Attenborough just giving the, the backtrack. Have you seen the one of the emperor penguins in the Antarctic in the middle of the winter? And they're like a group of them. And it's, it's a good... Yeah, it's good. If I remember this, and someone's going to correct me in a minute. So the guys stay with the eggs, and the, the ladies go off and swim and eat, I think. That's how it works. So the guys have got the whole of the winter months, and it's pitch dark, and they're staying in a crowd. And I read somewhere, there's, they stand 10 to every square meter. That's quite a lot, if you picture it. And what they're doing is they're keeping warm, and they're incubating the eggs, and then the eggs hatch at the end of the period. But how they do that is they are continually moving. So sometimes they're in the middle, and sometimes they're on the edge. Sometimes they're in the middle, sometimes they're on the edge. And I was thinking about this message about thinking your brothers and sisters in other parts of the world are going through the same sufferings you are. There's something of keeping together. Actually, there's a necessity to stay together because all of those guys on their own wouldn't have made it. But there's also a necessity that they move around and change places. And right now, believers in other parts of the world are undergoing tremendous pressure. Phil brought this to us um, two weeks ago and talked about open doors and persecuted church. Um, and right now, we are not, in that sense at all, say in that sense at all, going through those trials. But one thing I need to do to keep understanding that and stay connected is to understand I'm part of the same church. They're not a different church, and I can feel disconnected. No. I'm part of the church in Acts. I'm part of the Syrian church. I'm part of the underground church in North Korea. That's my, that's my adopted position. Right now, those guys, different ones, are going through pressure. So my response is, well, they're part of me. How can I respond? I've needed to think like that as I've seen stuff on the news and read stuff. We stand together. And there may be a time when the church in North Korea is sending food parcels to the church in the Western Europe. I say that not in any trivial way, but things change. 
I have an eternal future with God, but things change. Systems change, governments change. A few years ago, um, I was in, as part of a mission trip, I went to Cuba, which is an amazing time. And um, there's, the church is under some pressure. It's a communist, or it was then. Uh, and there were people, they, they, they did send people into the church meetings, and different ones were arrested from time to time. Um, and I remember being surprised. We were at a prayer meeting, and they prayed. Some of these guys were praying that they'd send them, God would send them as missionaries to the Middle East. And at that time, they couldn't even leave the country because they wouldn't get visas. And I don't know, I, the situation's changing because God's God. But I believe their prayer was prophetic, and I believe they'll go. And I, I remember standing back like that. Like, what, what? You guys, you're, you're struggling for food. You've got some oppression going on. But there's something about seeing what was on, and I believe it's God's heart. It's actually God's heart to see the connection. They were praying that they would go to places in the Middle East. So there's a church under pressure, and we're part of that church. And when attack comes, we're called to stand firm. And that's what we do. We stand firm. And then Peter just finishes this. He says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be power forever and ever. Amen. This is our hope. This is our hope. God will restore. God will strengthen. God will make strong. God will make steadfast. Because we have an eternal glory in him. I'm not saying you take your focus away from the day-to-day, the pressure, the things that are going on in your life. You can't do that. But our perspective is we're seated in Christ in heavenly places. There's an eternal glory because of what Jesus has done. And we're kind of, this isn't our home. And yet we're here. That's all I can say. I can't do the mystery any more than that. I am seated with Christ and yet I'm here. And I need, to, I need to see that. I need to live from that hope. I need to live from that perspective to make sense of how I do my life here. I, it, this isn't, I believe, in any sense escaping. This is, the, this is the message the church has lived under. Peter was writing to this church who were under some extreme pressure. And he was saying, and the God of all grace, reminding them. I think it's grace is maybe eight times used in this letter. He's writing to a church that just needs to hear that. He's not writing and saying, this is how you get out of persecution. You keep quiet and you stop attending the meetings so regularly and don't leaflet the neighbors. Whatever it was, he wasn't writing that. He was calling them. He wasn't lowering what he'd seen and encountered of Jesus. He'd spent time with him. He'd seen him. He'd seen him after the resurrection. And he said, come on, there's a God of all grace. He can enable you and strengthen you. And he's called you to eternal glory. This is our hope. This is what we see. Not that we lose sight of day to day, but I believe that will energize. That's what gives us hope and strength to do what we have to do in our jobs, in our families, in our schools, in our universities, in our political institutions and it's that glory that the world is waiting to see the world is waiting for the sons and daughters of God to arise who we are God's new creation is pointing to the new creation who we are in our workplace 
who we are, the glory that's in us and on us, is pointing to the future. It says there is a future, there is a day, that day is coming, that day is coming, just being here. Creation's waiting. It's waiting for you. It's waiting for me. It's calling out. It's groaning. And there is some groaning in creation right now in the world. It's waiting for us, sons and daughters. And Peter wrote this to a church under pressure. Not so they'd lose sight. Not to take their minds off them and give them a little bit of entertainment. But to establish who they were and how they were going to live their lives. And then he writes, he just finishes, and I don't know, some people go to the cinema and they, the credits come on and they leave, and sometimes it's good to stay and get the credits to see who's inputted to this. And so he gives a bit of honor to Silas. I don't know which Silas this is, um, but Silas, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you. And then he talks about Mark. So he just writes at the end, and he tags on just who he is, and what he's got. Hmm. He's written to a church under pressure. He's written about humility. He's written about suffering. He's written about freedom. He's written about hope. And right now, we are that church. I need to hear about humility. I need to hear about freedom. I need to hear about suffering. I need to hear about hope. I need to understand this. I need to make sense of it. So I can be who I need to be. And you can be who you need to be. Amen. Amen. Can we stand? I just uh, talked with Sarah. I'm just going to pray for us. And then I think, yeah, we'll go on from there. Father, thank you for who you are. We declare you're mighty and you're good and we trust you. We trust you. We align ourselves with you right now. We cast our anxiety on you. We humble ourselves before you. We say, Holy Spirit, come. Come. Touch our hearts, touch our lives. Where there's suffering, come and touch our lives with hope. Lord, and I pray there's a restoration and a strengthening and a steadfast that comes from heaven right now into our lives. Thank you. Thank you that you're a God who restores, who makes strong and who makes steadfast, whether it's physical health, whether it's financial problems, whether it's issues in work, issues in family. Father, come and restore. Come and bring hope. Come and bring steadfast strength from heaven as we align ourselves to you. Amen. Wonderful. Have a great week.